Good morning, Christ Covenant. Uh, thank you for joining with us as we gather together to sing to the Lord and hear his word uh, preached to us, and we pray to him and offer our, our worship to him. As we begin our time, just want to read from Psalm 100 that says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. So as we come together, let us join together in singing with gladness to the Lord. of our God and King Lift up your voice and with us sing Oh, praise Him Alleluia Thou burning sun with golden beam Thou silver moon with softer gleam Oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Let all things, let all things their Creator bless and worship Him in humbleness. Oh, praise Him, Alleluia. Praise, praise the Father, praise the Son. Yeah.
how to reign Heaven and earth who join to say Oh, praise Him Hallelujah Then who shall fall on of our God and King, oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him, Alleluia, Alleluia, oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him, Alleluia, Alleluia. church family. Let's pray a prayer of praise to our Lord as we continue in worship. This is from Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let's come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with the song of praise for the Lord is a great God and great King, a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountain are his also, the sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Let's pray. Father, we we recognize today... Uh, as we just consider everything that's around us, Lord, help us to look outside of ourselves and consider everything that is around us. Uh, to look up into the sky and see how vast and immeasurable that it is. To, to see your design and your order and your care. Help us to see the world rightly today, not as if we are in the middle of it, but Lord, as if you are in the middle of it. Lord, you are the one to whom our lives must be oriented and so, Father, we, we ask as we praise you today, as we recognize you today, as we, as we think on, as we meditate on, as we try to get a glimpse of your holiness and your goodness and your power, Lord, reorient our lives. Turn us away from ourselves and toward you because, Lord, you are worthy. Lord, Father, you are holy. You are right, Lord. Everything in all of creation is yours. So, Lord, we, we come to you today with praise and with a joyful no- noise, recognizing that you are above everything else, Lord. Everything in our lives, Lord, you are greater. Father, in your hand is everything, the depths of the earth, the height of the heavens. Uh, Father, our care, our provision, our rest, Lord, it is all in you. And so, Father, reorient our hearts today. Reorient our hearts right now, Lord, away from ourselves and toward you, the good and living God. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right. Hey, Christ Covenant. Uh, it's good to be with you today. Uh, we're doing something a little different with our service here. We're going to break it up into sort of little TED Talks. So I'm going to talk for about 10 minutes here and uh, glad to be with you. I want to start with this sort of a, I guess it's a very important caveat. Um, you know, uh, the, uh, the philosopher, theologian Bob Dylan once said, Beauty walks the razor edge. Someday I'll make it mine. Uh, Martin Luther said, history is like a drunk man going from one ditch to the other. 
these ideas that we're talking about, we're talking about worship today, but uh, these ideas of beauty, wisdom, truth, God, are things that no one gets precise. No one gets totally right. Um, you know, this denomination, that denomination, this personality type is drawn to this aspect of God. This personality type is drawn to that aspect of God. Um, beauty walks a razor's edge. In, in other words, uh, it's something that we're all after. The incarnation, Jesus Christ, is something uh, greater than, more than uh, any of us can possibly fathom. And for us to worship rightly is for us to see God rightly. And so I want to start with that very important caveat today. Myself, Jordan, Jason, we're not, of course, the, the, you know, the worship ex- experts and say this is the right way uh, to worship. Um, but, um, but we'll dive in here. This is Isaiah chapter 6, classic passage on worship. It says this, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When I was growing up in church, we used to do this thing called Monday Night Visitation. I don't know if many of you know about what that is. Uh, Jason Dees knows what it's about, but uh, it's this sort of, it was kind of an awkward thing. You show up at someone's house at dinner time and say, you know, you knock on the door and say, hey, you know, do you know if you would die right now if you go to heaven or whatever? Um, but I, I was, I remember being a sixth grade or seventh grade kid and walking around the mall and, and going up to people and, you know, I'd walk up very awkwardly. I, I love awkwardness, by the way. I kind of embrace it. But um, you walk up awkwardly and you sort of say, hey, how you doing, sir or ma'am? Did you know that Jesus loves you and died on the cross for you? And the typical response, because I was in the South, was, yeah. And I'd be like, okay, bye, have a good day. I didn't know where to go from there and the reason the reason there was no um the the reason it didn't make sense reason that encounter was awkward was because I both didn't tell a story and I didn't help that person find themselves in the story of the gospel I just you know it's like walking up and saying hey did you know that uh Frodo and and Sam Wise Gamgee made it to the Mordor and they they threw the ring in and all was well right you, you, there's no there has no meaning apart from the context of what the story is and um, you know in our worship I think the fear is um, in in church world um, so many so many of us and I have done this before too err on the side of you know, we, 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 we want to skip past this crucial aspect of who God is and this encounter Isaiah had. And we want to get straight to the, the, to the good stuff, right? We want to get straight to the grace and to the mercy and to the kindness of God because these things are amazing. But apart from the context of who God is, the holiness, the power, the might, the majesty of God, it actually doesn't, doesn't make sense. It, it loses its power. Um, so I, I want to look back through here in, in Isaiah 6. He says, you know, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. It's almost this science fiction kind of crazy vision he has. These angels with six wings, they're calling to each other, and they're saying this. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This word holy, just for a minute, 
have a, a little theology uh, class here for a second. The word holy, it, it, speaks to, it speaks to moral purity, but it speaks to so much more than that. The word holy means other, it means distant, it means beyond, it means in a class by itself. And so the reason this, this word holy is powerful is because more than sort of being an attribute of God, it's kind of the foundation of all of God's attributes. So his, his power is, is, is holy, right? It's in a class by itself. There's no, no one is as powerful as God. His kindness is in a class by itself. His goodness, all, all these, you know, so it's, it's more than just a, a facet of who God is. It's the, it's the essence of who God is. And um, there's this thing that's always stuck with me, Jonathan Everett said, about worship, and he said, you know, really when, only when we worship God for his holiness can we actually know then that we're worshiping God uh, not as a means but as an end in himself. So, and what he meant by that was, and he said this in a few different places in his writings, but he, essentially it means this, you know, if you praise God for his power or you praise God for uh, his love or his his faithfulness or whatever you 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 still can have yourself in view you can say oh this is what God can do for me or he can orchestrate my life or circumstances to 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 be this way but if you just praise God for his holiness God there's no one like you that you're other you're beyond you're you're distant you're majestic you're um, you know, in a class by yourself in every way. If, if, if you're thinking of God and praising God in that sense, well, you're not in view at all. And there is something so critical about uh, the, the, the human soul. This is so critical for, for, our, for our souls. Um, you know, um, there's, there, there's, there's so often that uh, we, we, you know, you think about Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. How did he teach us to pray, right? We don't start with, God, I need this. God, I need my daily bread. You know, he says, he, no, start with adoration. Start with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And there's this sense that, that it knocks us out of the center. It puts everything in perspective uh, rightly. And it starts the story for us. It, it begins the story. The, the story is not out of context at that point. Um, and you look at Isaiah's response quickly. Of course, you know, I, this is a little bit for shock value, but, you know, of course, Isaiah, he sees God, he sees this vision, and he doesn't say, you know, he doesn't say hallelujah or amazing grace, how sweet the sound. He's, he says, woe is me, I'm ruined. And, uh, you know, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that those other forms of praise are, are wrong at, at all. I'm saying what this teaches us, though, about worship is that it should not be normative for us when we come into worship, for us to have an end goal to make ourselves feel comfortable, for us to have an end goal to say, you know, you know, are, are we doing okay, or what's what's going on with us? It should, actually, you know, if you look at church history, the the uh, the Catholic liturgy, you know, through history, Christians have understood that you begin with God, you begin with His greatness, uh, with His glory. Uh, and real quickly, uh, quickly, I want to close with this. This um, is a really interesting little little quote from this guy, Carl Mettinger. Um, he was a he was a psychiatrist. He was not a Christian, but he 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 wanted to get back to the idea of sin. This is in 1970s, and the culture is beginning to shift, and people are getting away from talking about sin. And he wants to get back to the idea of sin and right and wrong. And, uh, and he says this, you know, sin is a word that used to be used by prophets. It, was, it used to be a word in everyone's mind, but now is it rarely ever heard? Does that mean that no sin is involved at all in our troubles? 
is, is anyone guilty of anything anymore? You know, is, is there any sin whatsoever? He's, and he says this, I believe there is sin, which is in, expressed in ways which cannot be uh, created under artifacts, uh, verbal artifacts such as crime, disease, delinquency. He says there is immorality. There is unethical behavior. There is wrongdoing. And then he sums it up with this. The assumption that there is sin implies both a possibility and an obligation for intervention. That sentence right there is so powerful. The, the assumption that there is sin implies both a possibility and an obligation for intervention. So I, I, I want to close there because it's so, um, again, personality types, you know, some people can be more cerebral and drawn to the, to the glory of God and the greatness of God and, and, and we uh, are drawn to that. Or some people can be more uh, emotional or, or are drawn to the more tangible aspects of, of, of who God is. Um, but we've got to get this, the transcendence, the, the majesty of God, that aspect of the story, we've got to get to where Isaiah got. And it's not doom and gloom. It's, it's actually incredibly hopeful for us to start the story here, right? You, you get the full context of what the story is, and he says the assumption that there is sin, that there is a holy God, that there is right and wrong, is not, is not a downer right? Uh, we're, we're, we're so desperate to be like the world, right? To attract a crowd or whatever. It's not, but that's not actually what we want. That's not what we crave. The assumption there is sin implies both a possibility and an obligation for intervention. So um, we're going to continue with our worship now, and I pray that we would today experience the, the, the fullness of God's story and uh, connect ourselves into that story. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That our souls to Him belong. Who holds our days within His hands? What comes apart? from his command and what will keep us to the end the love of Christ in which we stand oh sing hallelujah our hope springs eternal oh sing God is good, God is good, where is His grace and goodness known? In our great Redeemer's blood, who holds our faith when fears arise, who stands above the storm and tribe, who sends the waves that bring us nigh. 
unto the shore, the rock of Christ. So sing, oh sing. Christ he lives, Christ he lives, and what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him, then we will rise to meet the Lord, and sin and death will be destroyed, and we will feast in endless joy. When Christ is ours forevermore, oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal, oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess, Christ our hope in life. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess, Christ our hope in life and death, now and ever we confess, Christ our hope. Yes, you are our hope in life and death. Help us now, Lord, as we continue to hear from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue in our worship service, we're going to continue looking at the Isaiah 6 passage that Matt led us into a few moments ago. And I want to look at, particularly after this amazing powerful revelation of God that Matt read about in Isaiah's response, woe is me for I am lost, a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I want to look at verse six and seven, how God responds to uh, Isaiah's reaction. And of course, in verse six, we read that then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. You've heard me say this before, because I've said it many times, but the, the, the first thought that you have and that I have is actually wrong. <laughs> Our primary thought, our, our primary orientation, our, our most fundamental orientation is actually a misdirected orientation. You see, primarily or fundamentally, we understand the universe through our own experience, through our own existence. And, and, and so oftentimes we, we begin measuring the world through our own experience and existence. So is this important? Well, 
Is it important to me? Is this good? Well, is it good to me? Is this beautiful? Well, is it beautiful to me? See, see what happens there? And we all do this, right? I'm not trying to point a finger at you. I'm pointing it at me too. We, we all fundamentally kind of, our starting place is our own perspective, our, our own understanding of the universe. We, we, filter, we filter the world through ourselves. Uh, this is what uh, Descartes kind of famously said, right? I think, therefore, I am, right? I'm, I'm aware of the world because I'm aware of myself. I understand my own existence. Now, I I don't think humans have always been this way. I actually believe that in the beginning of time, particularly Adam and Eve, when they were first created in the garden, in the presence of God, I actually believe that they were more oriented toward God than they were to themselves. I believe they were actually more aware of God than they were of themselves. And I believe this for a couple of reasons. There's a couple of hints in the text. For example, Adam didn't recognize that he needed a helper when he was working in the garden. It was God that saw that in him. It's not that it's not as if Adam came to God and said, hey, I need more help here. God was aware of his situation. Adam was just aware of God. Adam was just obeying what God had called him to do. Later, of course, I think the most telling thing in this regard is that neither Adam and Eve knew that they were naked. And, you know, some of you have heard me say this before, but you have to be pretty unaware of yourself to be naked and not even realizing it, and not even realizing. You see, in the beginning, they were, they were more oriented toward God than they were to themselves. But, but, of course, what sin does, or really what sin is, is to be oriented away from God towards something else. When they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they became oriented toward evil or toward themselves. They, they became oriented away from the command of God, the law of God, the goodness of God, and even the holiness of God. Now, we are obviously not the center of the universe. I mean, cognitively, we know that but we behave as if we are. We understand the, the, the world as, as if we are the center, as if life is about us. And this is why this Isaiah passage is so important, because this is a story of a man who certainly knew about God, who understood the reality of God. But in this story or in this event, this, this prophet, this, this man who was living his life for the Lord became aware of God. He, he, he caught a glimpse of the fullness of God, and it, and it really changed everything about him. You see, one of the things that we want you to see in our worship is the glory of God. One of the things that we want you to experience is the glory of God. And if you behold the glory of God, and we see this all throughout the Bible, if you behold the glory of God, that is a reorienting experience. We read in the New Testament that as believers, as people in Christ, behold the glory of God. They are transformed into the image of God. That, this is what I'm saying here. They're, they're oriented. Their lives are oriented away from what do I think is important? What do I think is good? What do I think is beautiful? Toward what does God think is important? What does God think is good? What does God think is beautiful? As we behold God's glory, we are oriented toward him. We are transformed into his image. When you rightly begin to see how good and how right and how holy, as Matt said, that God is, you are forever changed. There's this famous passage uh, from Blaise Pascal, who was this 
very important mathematician. It's called the night of fire. And Pascal experiences God in this powerful way. He, he says in his journal, fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers, not of the learned, certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God, your God will be my God, forgetfulness of the world and of everything except for God. When we, when we rightly begin to behold the glory of God, it's, it's, a, it's a disorienting, and, and we pray a reorienting toward him. Here's the deal, though. When sinners like us, people that have spent our time, our energy, orienting our lives toward ourselves, when, when we start to begin to see how pure and holy God is and how big and strong God is and how righteous he is, we rightly see ourselves like Isaiah did. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. I am undone. Everything that I've centered in my life around is now torn to pieces. I want you to hear this. There are a lot of churches right now that are still meeting right now that, that actually kind of lend themselves toward you orienting your life around yourself. They're kind of taking the Bible, they're, they're taking passages of Scripture, and they're saying, look, we can actually help you continue to orient your life around yourself, around your work, around your career, around money, whatever it is you're orienting yourself around. And the Bible can actually help you do that. God can actually help you continue to live out your dream for your life. But our goal at Christ's covenant is not that, <laughs> Our goal at Christ's covenant is actually the goal of Christianity. It's actually the goal of Scripture, if you really read it. And that is not to continue to help you orient your life around yourself and help you. We want you actually to be undone. We actually want you to come to our service and, it's, and at times be a little scared. We, we actually want you to come to our service and at times be in awe of something. And what we want you to be in awe of is the true holy God of the universe who has created everything, who is stronger than everything, who is greater than everything. And when this happens, it's terrifying. But that's the beauty of this passage. There, there is hope. As we read in verse 6, one of the seraphim flew to me. Just when Isaiah is undone, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs of the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has been taken away. Your sin has been atoned for. You see, the good news of the gospel is this, is that God has come to us in the gospel. God has sent us something from his altar, someone from his altar. God has sent us his son who was perfectly righteous, who was always oriented toward God, who, who always lived out the life that God desired for us. And yet, the burning coal of God was put on him. The wrath of God against our sin and, and our disorientation from God was put on Christ Christ lived a sinless life but then died a sinner's death so that sinners like us could be actually brought in to the holiness of God. 
And, and that's why we talk about Jesus. And that's why we preach this gospel. Because Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is our only peace. Jesus is the only chance we have to be rightly reoriented back toward God, to have access to God, to actually worship God. And so this gospel, this gospel that I just told you about, we preach it every week here. The reason that it's so important for us to come to the word and center the word of God on the gospel of Jesus Christ is because we forget the word. We forget the gospel every single week. As Martin Luther famously said, I preach the gospel every week because you forget the gospel every week. And that's certainly true of me. You leave me away from this word long enough, you leave me away from worship long enough, guess what? I will orient my life towards something other than the living God. I will orient my life towards smaller and lesser things. And so our prayer, our hope, is actually when we come together for worship that God would wreck us, that he would undo us, that he would disorient us, that he would pull our orientation away from anything but himself, and that we could take hope in the gospel, the gospel of our Lord Jesus, this good news that we have a Savior in Christ, that, that God has sent something from his altar and that our sin can be atoned for. We want to orient ourselves along those lines toward God and live, and live our lives for his glory. As Pascal said after this night of fire, God is only found by the ways taught in the gospel. May I not forget these words. And may that be true of our church and of our corporate worship together. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art.
Let's pray. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive all glory, all honor, all praise, Lord, for you, by your will, you created all things and they exist. God, we are thankful. We're thankful that you have created all things and that every single day by your will we exist. Lord, we're thankful for that. God, would you convict us today, right now, of not believing that every day, of falling into sin every single day as our heart burns for something greater, Lord? Would that be you, Father? Would you convict us of that? And not only convict us, but bring us on our knees straight to you, Father, that we would seek you when when things are wrong and when things are not good, Father we would just seek you and pursue you with our whole heart. For you are worthy, Lord. You're worthy of all glory, all honor, all praise. And we love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Each Sunday when we gather together, we are, we are acting out the, the story of redemption, the story of the Bible. And, and there's a natural rhythm to it. And that ri- rhythm is revelation and response. God reveals himself to us through his word and and then we respond to him. And so hopefully you've seen that as Matt and Jason have talked and as you see kind of the arc of our services together. God invites us to gather so that we can behold him in his greatness and his holiness and his glory, revelation. And that leads to a humble response of, of confession and recognition that, that we, we have no place before the Lord other than through Jesus and, and his work of the gospel. And that's our humble response to him. And then God comes and, and reveals to us through his word, the word, Jesus becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us and being the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And so redemption serves as the message that that God is speaking to us. God reveals that. And then we respond to him by by praying and, and by offering our lives to him and by considering how we're called to obey him and how we can celebrate the gospel response. And then we lean in as we listen to God's word, as he, he instructs us, revelation. And then finally, we, we get sent out. And that is our response. It's, it's our lives are consecrated to the Lord as, as we go out. And so hopefully you see this, this revelation and response. In a sense, this conversation that we have each and every Sunday as God speaks to us and, and we respond. Verse 8 in Isaiah 6 is Isaiah's response to the Lord and his grace. It says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. As the word of God's grace touched Isaiah, his response was one of whole life devotion to the Lord. I'm here, Lord. Use me however you want to. His response serves as an example to us. As we hear God's word preached to us each and every Sunday, we want to not just be hearers of the word, but we want to be doers of the word as James 1 teaches us. His words to us evokes and demands a response. Now, 
those responses can be, can be varied. As Jason says, at times we should be undone. We should confess our sin. We should repent to the Lord. At times it's going to be conviction. At times it's going to be celebration. At times it's going to be consecration. If you come to our service and you're not a follower of Jesus, hopefully each and every Sunday you hear an invitation that the Lord gives to you that you can be saved. You can be forgiven. You can experience this amazing grace that God has offered to you through the redemption of Jesus. Now the structure of our service, we typically have a couple songs and, and just time after the, the sermon to, to reflect, reflect on what the Lord has spoken to us because we believe that God speaks through his word each and every Sunday. And so our encouragement during that time is to consider what is God saying to me? How is he calling me to respond? Now, God's salvation and the, and the word of redemption to us should not lead to a condemned, burdened response where we just try and, and go do better during the week. God's words of, of his holiness and his redemption and his grace to us, they should speak life to us. They should be an encouragement to us because the God of the universe is revealing Jesus to us in all his greatness and his glory so that we can become more like him. That's, that's the reason that we exist is to, to behold our great God and Savior and to become like him. Our growth and obedience as we go out from the service is the fruit of of his grace being applied to our lives. It's not just a greater exertion of self-will. It's applying the grace that we have received from the Lord. And in our gathering together, we are, we're looking forward to a final day of consummation where everything will be made right and we, we will finally be like him. Every Sunday, we remind ourselves that one day Jesus shall return. And he will make all things right. He will restore all things. So what, is this, what does this look like in our service? Well, God's given us two ways to, to respond to him as, as we gather. And they're both ways that we act out the story of the gospel. The first is baptism. Do you know one of the first ways that God calls you to walk in obedience after salvation is to be baptized? Is to, is to physically experience the reality of what he has done through saving you, through converting you. And we testify to, to those watching that God is our, he's our treasure, he's, he's our life. This baptism, this sacrament that God has given us reminds us of the forgiveness that we have through Jesus, whereby the, the filthiness of our sins has been washed away and it reminds us of our our union with Christ as Romans 6 says we we have been buried with Jesus and we have been raised to his life to his resurrection we are alive to him and so if you haven't been baptized our, our encouragement to you is to 
participate in that, to, to enjoy that, that reality of your salvation. For those of us who watch baptism in our gathering, it's an opportunity for us to remember our baptism, to remember what Jesus has accomplished in and through our lives by his grace. The second thing is communion. So Jesus calls us to, to worship him by not only singing the gospel, by not only hearing the gospel preached and read, but he gives us a meal to taste and remember what he's done. There's an author named James K.A. Smith, and he says this, it's as if the story we've been hearing and rehearsing now comes with live illustrations. We get to come as a gathered community bought by the blood of Jesus to a table that God has prepared for us, that he's invited us to. And it's an invitation to fellowship with him and to fellowship with one another through the blood and the the broken body of Jesus. The beauty of communion that we celebrate as a gathered church is it captures the past, present, and future realities of the gospel. We get to think back to the Passover where God passed over his people because of the the blood of the lamb on their doorways. We get to celebrate our present reality of, of forgiveness and an invitation to fellowship with our maker. And it also reminds us of the future wedding feast of the Lamb. Communion is a physical reminder of all that we have been talking and singing about. God calls his people with an invitation to experience, know, and worship him. He he reveals himself as a God who is holy and just, a God who is merciful and gracious, and a God who has called us and equipped us to, to live for him. The end of our service is, is geared towards this, this life of consecration as we get sent out by the Lord. And, and so we end our times with, with a few, uh, they could be termed announcements, but they're much more than that. They're, they're invitations for us to consider how we are called to now go and live our lives as Christians in the world around us. And so you'll hear about service opportunities, ways to serve our neighborhoods and, and the people in the church. There's opportunities to participate in the, in the fellowship of the church. There's an opportunity to live your life with other Christians and to go out in, in mission. Now as we go out... God sends us out with a word of blessing, what we call the the benediction. So God invites us in with a blessing to consider him, and and then we get sent out with a blessing that, that he's with us. We remind one another that God sends us out with a promise of his presence, his love, his greatness, and his work in our lives. Our Sunday gatherings together ebb and flow with this story of the gospel of revelation and response. And like we've talked about, it, it requires, it asks of you participation. That you join in, in in acting out this story week after week after week. You're a part of this gathering for yourself, for others. And we get to enjoy week after week this reminder of our great and glorious God who has revealed himself in the great gospel 
of Jesus Christ. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you As I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless day and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You Thank you that you are our life and that the Holy God revealed himself to be a God of mercy and love and grace towards us, that we sinners can be children of God. And so we celebrate you, we rejoice in you this morning, and it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Well, thank you so much for being a part of our Sunday gathering as Christ's covenant. Um, if this is your first time, if this is your first time tuning in, we're so glad uh, that you decided to, to watch this. And our desire is that we are able to connect with you. We would love to get to know you. We'd love to find out if there's any ways that we can, we can serve you. So there's a couple ways that uh, we would love to connect with you. The first is, it would be great if you could fill out a connect card for us um, so that we can just get some information about you and find out you know, how, how we can get to know you. So there's a link to that right below this video. You can just click, click on that and we will be in touch with you. Um, you can always use our text to pastor line. Uh, the number is below this video and that is an opportunity for you to really ask any question about the church, about what you heard this morning about Jesus and there will be a pastor who gets in touch with you that day. Um, so we would, we would love for you to, to utilize that. For everyone else, um, there is much going on in the life of our church, as I referenced earlier uh, in, in my talk. And, and so we're trying out something new. Um, we, are, we have this video, um, and you can click on it. There's a card that's going to appear right now. Uh, on your video, you can click on it, and, and it's just going to give you information about all that's going on in the life of the church, opportunities to serve, opportunities to fellowship, to participate, and our hope is that you utilize that so that you can be even more connected in the life of Christ's covenant. Um, thank you so much for, for being here. I just want to leave us with a benediction. Let me grab my Bible. Let me leave us with this good word as I Referenced earlier, this is what 2 Corinthians 13 says. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's go in the comfort of that promise this morning.